All right, yeah, for Veggie Tales, right? Well, welcome you guys this morning uh, as we continue our series on thinking about having a childlike faith and a mature understanding. As we continue to look at what the Veggie Tales and Scripture uh, help us see in our lives on campus. This week, we are looking at a guy that, man, I wish I was a little more like sometimes. Little Joe. Larry the Cucumber. Now, aside from the, the kind of greenness and the bald head and the no hands thing, there are days when I really wish I was more like Larry. If you uh, continue to read this story, if you even read the story of Joseph from Scripture, God speaks to him in a dream. He, be, he thinks uh, and believes that God is going to set him up as the chief over a whole group of people. But his brothers don't like the idea, and so they capture him. They sell him. Uh, Little Joe is a victim of human trafficking. And he just rolls with it. Like, he's just okay. He's wrongfully accused of stealing, at least in this video. Later, it's actually something much more insidious than that, but he's wrongfully accused of it. He gets thrown into jail. All this terrible stuff happens to Little Joe, and he's just, God loves me, with his big smile on his face, you know? Man, there are just days I could wish I could be a little bit more like little Joe. Just keep on smiling and, and be content when, when rough stuff is going on in my life. But I, it doesn't feel realistic, does it? Like it doesn't feel like that's an honest way to deal with bad things happening in our lives. When we feel like things have kind of gotten out of control, and it's not because we've done something wrong, it's just the way life is turning out. And I want to at least put out there for us to wonder about this morning that maybe that's not what God expects of us. And at the risk of saying something that's not like the VeggieTales didn't do it quite right, they do beautiful things because they do it for a child's understanding, but we're trying to mature in our understanding, right? So let's wonder a little bit together about a story in the scriptures that raises the question about how do we deal with when life throws us stuff because of no fault of our own. And we find ourselves in really tough spots. We're going to look at a story uh, that's very fitting to the week that we're in. It is Palm Sunday today. Next week is Easter, which blows my mind, but that's just a fact. And in the midst, in between um, Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, we have some stories. And one of the ones that we find is in Matthew chapter 26. So if you have a Bible, you may want to turn to that this morning. It's a story that happens between two big parades, right? The big, loud, excited, somewhat spontaneous parade of Palm Sunday when people just gather in front of Jesus as he rides into Jerusalem and they shout, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is king. He is bringing Jerusalem back to the center of God's enterprise on earth. Everybody's excited. That's today. Then the other parade is Jesus alone walking to the cross where death is going to meet him at Golgotha. And in between these two parades, the big, loud, spontaneous parade and the solitary parade to his death, there's this story. Story of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus has just predicted 
that his disciples are going to abandon him. And they all, with great bravado, say, we will go with you to death if that's what it takes. We will never abandon you, Jesus. And then we get to this story in Matthew 26, verse 36 to 56. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. The body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away one more, uh, once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him, large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal for them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. I'm going at once. To Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus replied, Friend, do you, what do, you, uh, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. I'll put your sword back in its place, Jesus said, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you didn't arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then the disciples deserted him, and fled. Quite the story. I want to tell you that um, it's not incidental to this story that Matthew tells us that Jesus went with his disciples out to Gethsemane. In Aramaic, uh, which was the common language of that part of the world at the time, the word Gethsemane means oil press. Now, oil is a very important commodity in the ancient world. It's used for just about anything you can imagine. 
You cook with it, you can clean with it, you can heat with it, you can use it for skin care, you use it for medicine, you use it for sexual dysfunction. Um, you use olive oil for everything. So everybody knows what olive oil is. You have to take it out to the press in order to get it. I want you to watch just a very short video of how olive oil is made. And it's instructive for us to understand why Jesus would take his disciples out to a place called the oil press. In between the parade of Palm Sunday and the singular parade of the crucifixion, Jesus goes with his disciples out to the oil press, to that place where the oil gets separated and squeezed out from the water and the grit. When they get there, Jesus tells his disciples, some of them at least, to stand guard while he goes to pray. But he takes Peter, James, and John with him into the press. His closest companions. Four days ago, these men had walked with Jesus at the parade of Palm Sunday. As people shouted, Hosanna, son of David, the kingdom of God has returned. They expect tonight is the night Jesus is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. What a better time than on Passover. It's perfect. All the things have aligned. Today's the day. Their expectations for revolution are so clear to them that they actually bring swords along for the fight. Jesus' good friends are ready for a battle. So it must have been really surprising when Jesus stops into the oil press and he turns to them and he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Even to the point of death. Jesus, the Son of God, verse 37 tells us, was so sorrowful and troubled that he asked his closest friends, stay with me so that I don't lose heart. I want to suggest, friends, as a point of application, and it's really comforting to know that the Son of God has to ask his friends for help when he's in the press. He doesn't just keep on smiling like all is going to be well. Yeah, I'm going to be crucified tomorrow, but I know I'm going to be raised on Easter. It'll be fine. It's not like that. No, Jesus goes into the press and he brings his friends and says, I need you to be with me right now. Which means that we don't have to try to smile and act like everything's okay when life isn't going well for us. It means that we can turn to our friends and say, I'm going through it right now. I need your help. That we don't have to kind of soldier up and just keep on going, but that we can look to our friends for help in that time too when we find ourselves sorrowful and troubled. Jesus continues into the press. He stumbles on a little bit further after saying to his friends, please stay with me and pray. He goes on a little bit further with the weight of the entire human race literally crushing him to the ground. And under the pressure of that weight, Jesus says, Father, 
if it is possible, let this cup be taken away from me. And in that, Jesus gives us a fantastic example of how to pray when our hearts are sorrowful and troubled. He gathers his closest friends around him and says, I need you to pray for me. And then Jesus goes to the Father himself and says, Father, if there's any other way, can you take this away from me? Which is another great example for us. Some of you have been to these points in your life already. Others of you, you're going to come to these points because this is the prayer of every person who ever finds themselves sorrowful and troubled, holding a cup that they just can't think, they can't fathom drinking. It's the prayer of anyone who's ever had cancer. Father, please take this cup away from me. It's the prayer of anyone who struggles with depression. Father, please take the dark cloud of this away from me. It's the prayer of anyone who's ever had to go through organic chemistry. Father, please take this cup away from me. The beauty of Jesus' desperate prayer in the oil press is that it's our prayer. It shows us that Jesus is the Son of God, but he's also the Son of Mary. He is one of us. Just as the writer of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We have a high priest who has been tested in every way, just like us, including being sorrowful and troubled at the prospect of his own crucifixion the next morning. In the lonely darkness of the oil press, the Son of God cries out in prayer, the prayer of all of us who face the reality of suffering, Father, if there's any other way, please take this cup. That's Jesus' petition. But then comes the second line of his prayer. Yet not what I want, but what you want. The first line is Jesus' petition. This is what he wants from the Father. The second line is his submission. We see a progression in Jesus' three prayers that moves from this very human desire to avoid suffering, to avoid the pain that he had in front of him, toward a desire that God's will and purpose be paramount, whatever the circumstance. Even as we get into the later prayers of verses 42, he says, if it's not possible, he's already moving to a point of acceptance, if it's not possible that this cup be taken away unless I drink it, let your will be done. The submission of Jesus in Gethsemane, friends, is a reason to be cautious. Anytime we hear the messages in our culture and our society that say it's always God's will for you to be happy and healthy and well. See, what we see in Gethsemane is that sometimes going into the oil press is exactly what God wants for you. 
Not because suffering is good, but because the oil press can squeeze out of us the water and the grist so that what is left is the pure oil, the part of us that is most useful to God and to the world. Sometimes God puts us into the oil press and says, I need you to drink this cup because this is how we're going to change the world. This semester, there are uh, two groups of students that are reading through the whole New Testament. And uh, we're going to be finishing that up here in the next uh, two weeks. But if you take the time uh, and the exercise to read through the entirety of the New Testament in, as one thing and not just in little spots, you can't help but be somewhat stunned at how often Jesus and the apostles say things like, if you're a Christian, you should expect that your life is going to come with a great deal of trouble. I mean, who's ready to sign up for that, hey? But listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, the very beginning of his letter. It's been granted to you as a gift on behalf of Christ, not only to believe the gospel, but to suffer for it. The Apostle James says something similar, again, at the very beginning of his letter. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because the trying of your faith produces perseverance. It's crazy to run in and say, yes, sign me up for that. Who wants to sign up for suffering? Who wants to rush headlong into that? And the thing is, it's okay if you don't. Because Jesus didn't either. He prays, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup. But ultimately, he listens. And he waits. And he resolves. Yet not what I want but what you want. Let's be honest, guys. We don't like this part of the story. We like Palm Sunday, right? Hosanna! Jesus is king. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And we like singing that stuff. We like Jesus being the king. And we like Easter, Hallelujah, Jesus is risen from the dead. We have new life. But man, we don't like this stuff. The stuff that happens in between. Jesus agonizing in prayer. Being tried like a criminal. Being crucified like a terrorist. We don't like these days. In between. The parades. And yet, this is the road that led to resurrection. The lesson we learn from the oil press is that prayer is not an elective in the Jesus Christ school of discipleship. It's a required course. The idea that there are some of us that are really good at prayer and others of us that are more action-oriented, it just doesn't fit. In the theology of Gethsemane, prayer is action. It's what enabled Jesus to see that his own suffering 
was the means by which God was going to change the world. Even allowed him to see that God had surrounded him with 12 legions of angels. All he needed to do was call. But that this was the road that God wanted for him. In the final scene of this story, we get to see a parable lived out in real life. Peter and the disciples are ready to take matters into their own hands. It's not a coincidence that we find that they've been sleeping the whole time that Jesus is praying. They are ready. They've come for the battle. They've gotten some rest, and they're ready to go. But Jesus, who entered the oil press, sorrowful and troubled, has now put himself into the hands of his father. And as Judas and the soldiers approach Jesus, Peter is so ready for this battle that his hand is already on the hilt of the blade. So as soon as the high priest's guard reach out to grab Jesus, whack! He goes to plant his sword in the head of the soldier, but he missed. And he cut off his ear. And Jesus says, stop. This is what God wants to happen. And the disciples who are stout-hearted, ready to go with Jesus even to death, are dazed and confused. They run away. Because while they were ready to take matters into their own hands, Jesus, in the oil press, had put himself into the hands of his father. So here's a question for us to wonder about today. How might our perspectives change if we were to practice Jesus' radical submission to the ways of his father instead of trying to be like the disciples who take matters into our own hands without much consent and conversation with God. Jesus goes with his disciples into the oil press. He says to his friends, honestly and openly, I am sorrowful and troubled. I need you. Then he brings his request to his father. Father, if there's any other way, But finally, he submits and he says, may your will be done, no matter what happens. It was that submission of Jesus that led him to the cross, that ultimately led to the resurrection, that brings us here today to celebrate and to remember and to be challenged. To be able to say, Father, not what I want but what you want. So here's a question for you to wonder about today. What's in your cup? Some of you are really excited about graduation, right? Who's graduating in here? Yeah, right? It's less than a month away, which is awesome, and people are excited, and everyone else in the room is coveting you right now, and they're jealous, and they're a little bit mad, but those of you that are graduating, you know that there's some anxiety creeping on you when you're thinking about, 
what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I mean, there's no syllabus after you graduate. Maybe the anxiety of what's going to happen to you after you graduate is in your cup. Others of you, you're in bad relationships. You know the relationship's not healthy. You know it's not good. And yet the thought of being single again is so unbearable that you can't imagine it. And maybe you hear God saying, this isn't what I have for you. It's not what I want. Maybe for you it's taking that relationship and saying, Father, if it's possible with this cup, I, I, can't, I can't end it. But, but what you want. I don't know what's in all of your cups, but I imagine that all of you have something in your cup right now that it's really hard for you to say, Father, if it's possible, let it pass. That's what you want. If that's, if that's you this morning, each of you have got a, a card when you came in the door. I'm going to invite you to, uh, to take out right now a card that looks something like this. And if you don't have one, raise your hand and we'll get you one. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as uh, you take out these cards. And if you're willing to, I'm going to invite you to write down what's in your cup this morning. What is it that you need to bring to God and say, Father, let this pass. And what we're going to do with these cards is, as the, um, after the worship team plays for a little while, we're going to collect them. All right? The cards on this side of the room and the cards on this side of the room. And we're going to practice doing what Jesus' disciples didn't do in the garden, which is actually pray for each other. And so the cards that are on this side are going to be swapped and put on this side of the room. And the cards that are on this side are going to be swapped and put on this side of the room. And you're going to get into small groups and you're going to just raise those prayers up to God. It doesn't have to be long, lengthy, or anything special. Simply say, God, we lift up this prayer to you. Within, um, in, if you want to leave it anonymous, you're welcome to do that. You certainly don't have to write your name. We want to practice praying for each other. Um, the way Jesus instructs his disciples to do in Gethsemane. So, as the band plays, write down what's in your cup. And we'll collect those in a few minutes.